Hi, I'm Len Epp from LeanPub, and in this LeanPub Front Matter podcast, I'll be interviewing Jaime Gonzalez Garcia. Based in Stockholm, Jaime is a full-stack software developer and UX designer and a popular conference speaker. He works at Google and is currently a front-end software engineer on the Hangouts Meet hardware team, and his duties also include developer relations for people in the developer community in the Nordic countries. You can read his blog and sign up for his newsletter at barbarianmeetscoding.com and follow him on Twitter at Vintheras. And I hope I pronounced that right, but I probably didn't. Uh, Jaime is uh, the author of a number of LeanPub books, including JavaScript Mancy, Getting Started, and Boost Your Coding Foo with VS Code and Vim. In this interview, we're going to talk about his background and career, professional interests, his book, and at the end, we'll talk a bit about his experience as a self-published author. So thank you for being on the LeanPub Front Matter podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Um, I always like to start these interviews by asking people for their origin story. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about where you grew up and how you first became interested in creating software. I know your your route wasn't exactly direct. No. <laughs> so, so you know, I was born in a very small village in the in the north of Spain. It's a small valley, and uh, I think it's about three thousand inhabitants today. It's surrounded by mountains. It's like a very beautiful uh, nature uh, place. And, uh, you know, I was growing up there, very nice um, childhood. I was very much a wild <laughs> kid. I would hang out with my friends outside, herd cows. Uh, I remember very vividly my, my uncle using a site to, to cut the grass. So that was like, that, that was the level. <laughs> uh, uh, how my child my my childhood was, and then my my dad he was like a very forward thinking man, and you could see that with a couple of things. One was that he put my my sister and I in English uh, class when we were like very young. <laughs> people were like uh, putting people in, in French back in the day. So they, they thought the French was gonna be like the thing to stick, but it wasn't. <laughs> uh, so my my sister and I were like very good with English. And then another thing that he did was that he was always buying the latest gadgets. And one of those gadgets was a computer. So that was like my, the first time that I that I had a contact with a computer was as a child. I don't know how old I was back then, but uh, I think he bought a weird terminal thingy that you would connect to the internet or something uh, that didn't cu- uh, cut too much because you couldn't do so much with it. But then he got a PC, uh, I think it was a 286. I don't I, That was a long time ago, monochrome. And that was like the first thing that I, the first time that I used a computer. I remember that he would, you know, he was like a, he was like a very, he wanted us to succeed. <laughs> and he would put us to a programming class. But again, this is a small town. There's not a lot of opportunities like that. And he would put a, me to learn basic. Uh, <laughs> I have, you know, I was like super, yeah, I don't know how old I was, but uh, I, I said, all right, uh, let's do it. Uh, and I, I would just be in programming. I didn't, I didn't even know there was called programming. I think it was so young that I just, I, I got like some problems I needed to solve, and then I just followed the steps. And I, I don't, I, I don't know if I was, no, I didn't even know what I was doing. But one thing that happened in those classes was that I found that uh, I found a, a floppy disk of Civilization, <laughs> and I somehow got it installed in the computer. And then people would be programming basic and i would be playing civilization <laughs> that was a big thing for me when i was a child i really loved video games um so i treated the cows and the herding for video games <laughs> and uh, and that was uh, i spent a lot of my childhood i mean i did a lot of things it was a very 
uh, a kid that did a lot of things, uh, play football, basketball, and then also, yeah, playing video games. And uh, mm, I, I, I was also... I, I had like a slightly obsessive behavior sometimes. So uh, when I found something that I really enjoyed, and this case was uh, Age of Kings <laughs> or Age of Empires, I would like, I would get very obsessed and play a lot and try to become very, very good. And at the time, I think I was like 13 or something like that. And I, I had this, yeah, I led these clans. Uh, I, I think I was one of the highest rated players in um, Age of Empires back then. Uh, and I, I even did conferences about strategy, uh, uh, strategy that you could follow uh, on that. But even though I was playing, uh, it could, I could never connect the dots between uh, the idea that I could program video games or I could program anything. It was just, it was just the computers were just found to me to play with. I did actually created some website back then for the clan <laughs> uh, but that was I, yeah, I wasn't it wasn't I wasn't very much into programming back then um, so time passed and uh, I, I wished I had, had somebody that, that had connected dots for, connected the dots for me at, and, and told me yeah you know you can do this for a living uh, programming you can build your own things but what I did and I just uh, just continue with my life um, when I went to university uh, I just left my computer at, ho- at home. So I, I, the first year in university, I didn't even have a computer. And I was very scattered and, and ambitious back then. So I didn't, you, yeah, I was in university and I, I just spent most of the time with my friends, uh, hanging out. I would like read books like the whole night and then I couldn't go to, to school. So uh, it was much later which I, I don't know, I had this idea. I, I'm sometimes I'm very impulsive and I had this idea that I would go, uh, yeah, this is how I went. I read this book that was called The Fifth Day and it talked very nice about uh, the Nordic countries, the Nordic countries, and in this case it was Trondheim. And then I said, oh, it would be really cool to go there <laughs> and then I can do the Erasmus there, which is an exchange program that we have in Europe. And I will finish my degree uh, and I and I said okay, and and then I did that. I uh, in this case I moved to Sweden, and and what happened there was that I I met my wife, my my girlfriend back then, and it was through meeting her and falling in love with her and starting a relationship that I I after like ten years of studying, like I'm um, doing quotes because I was I don't know what I was doing. Uh, I realized that if I wanted to be with her, I needed to get my shit together, finish my degree, and I start earning a living so I could maintain myself. Um, and that was when I finished my degree, and that was when I started working as a software engineer. The thing is that, you know, again, I it was uh, I was back, we moved back to Spain uh, back then, and I just wanted to pay the rent. Uh, that was a, I wasn't like super excited about programming, but programming was like on the rise back then, and as it, as it is today, even more. But so so the easiest job that I could get was as a programmer, even though my degree was like <laughs> a super snobbish degree in Spain. It was like the cream of the crop. Uh, that <laughs> a lot of people look down on programming. 
uh, and I don't know why because it's awesome. But so, but yeah, it was like okay, I'm just I'm just gonna do anything to earn money so I can pay the rent and so we can live together happily ever after. And then I started working as a software developer, and I was working for a year. Uh, and I yeah, it was I think it was enjoy I enjoyed it for the for the time, but I didn't think that I would end up being a software engineer. It was just like something that I needed to get money to pay the rent and food. <laughs> And then we moved back to Sweden, my, my girlfriend and I, and then I had the chance to really reflect what do I wanted to do with my life. It was, that was over a summer. And we were uh, living at his parents, at, at her parents. And uh, I had, a, yeah, throughout those three months, I was thinking, okay, what am I going to do with my life? I was a telecom engineer, so I was thinking perhaps I will work at Ericsson, deciding, designing, I don't know, radios or who knows that. <laughs> uh, but then I, I started reflecting about what, what, what brings me joy in life. And, and now through reflection there, I realized that I really, really, really loved writing software and building things. I mean, I was 27 <laughs> at the time. Like, I mean, it took me a long time. And then when I realized that, oh, this is what I love to do, then I, I went crazy. I was like, now I'm going <laughs> to... I mean, it was not like... A, uh, rational decision it was his natural reaction uh, was just now I'm gonna dedicate every hour that I have awake to pursue this passion or this interest a strong interest <laughs> that I have uh, and that was what I did from then on uh, I, I, I've always felt like I've <laughs> particularly when you you look back you think you, you start thinking fuck uh, sorry. No, that's okay. Uh, I wasted so much time. Uh, I could have been programming all along. I mean, I chose the wrong degree. I wish somebody had mentored me better. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, I started like from then on, like very strong uh, pursuing software development. It was so, so much so that it was funny because this became like an issue over which my wife and I would discuss. We would have discussions because I would feel like I didn't program enough <laughs> and she would feel that I would program too much. So there was always this, uh, from Jamie, that he was completely unambitious, uh, partying all the time, dancing with girls, and that was like a problem, like I was partying too much, to Jamie, you're coding too much. When this is <laughs> it was completely different. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That. Thanks. Thanks a lot for that. I've got. I've got a few questions. Uh, one of which is it's, it's yeah. actually kind of a one of the themes of this podcast because so many people that I interview um, do work in in tech. Is if you were starting out again now, mm -hmm. uh, would you go to university and study computer science if you were going to pursue a career in programming, or would you do it another way? Because it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like you taught yourself how to program after getting this this uh, telecommunications engineering degree. Yeah. So, so, so the telecommunications engineering degree, it included some programming, uh, even though it was not the core thing. But I think that if I could start over, I, I think I could definitely go to university again. Because, you know, it's not just going and learning a subject. When you go to university, uh, when you go to university, it's like a, a, a 
whole experience of uh, coming of age. <laughs> in my case, you know, it was like uh, I was living at my parents until then. And then going to university was me moving to a new city and then uh, being independent or yeah, yeah independent-ish <laughs> for the first time in my life and meeting all new people, getting the chance to like reinvent yourself or also grow into yourself. And there's a lot of um, yeah travel of uh, <laughs> a journey of self-discovery. So it's like the, uni the university is not only like learning how to code or learning a uh, trade, it's like all the experiences that you gather throughout those years of yeah, living on your own, pursuing knowledge, <laughs> ideally for the sake of knowledge, but also developing as a person. Um, so I, I, I think it would. It's for, it's hard to say because that's what I did, and I really enjoyed it. And I don't know what it would be like to not do it. Like, I mean, you could have probably yeah, come out of high school and then start working, but. I, I don't know, I really knew university, like, it was, a, I think that one thing that is very nice about university, uh, university is that the, I feel like you, particularly if you start working, you have that nine to five or eight to five, that's very uh, routine based and it's more closer thing or like um, limiting in a way. And in university, I feel like it was more like open and uh, you were able to pursue things in a more free, in a free way, in a freer way. And you weren't as closed. So I think that I, I, would, I would definitely recommend it. One, I, don't, I know that in the US it can be very expensive, but you know, if you move to Sweden, university is free. <laughs> so move to Sweden. <laughs> Yeah, I've actually I've got I've got a question about that uh, that I'd like to ask you in a minute. But just before that, I'd like to I'd like to say I, I mean I couldn't agree with you more about uh, the value of of spending some years in university. One of the things that I think a lot of people for don't don't sort of put together, particularly if it was just natural for them to go to university because that's what everyone in their family did, is that it mm -hmm. expands your range of, range of acquaintance and. Um, on one hand, it sort of demystifies things because you remember partying with that guy who's now a surgeon <laughs> and you remember partying with that guy who's now a big time lawyer or, or, or girl. Um, uh, but at the same time, there's, there's, there's just all these sort of very profound practical effects that it has on your life that you can often discount because they seem normal mm -hmm. for you. Like for example, if you find a, if you find a lump on your back, you can call your doctor friend. If you, if mm -hmm. you get called up for jury duty, you can call your lawyer friend and try to get out of it. I mean, I'm just sort of picking tacky examples on purpose because when you have that mm. resource available to you, when yeah. those, those professions have been demystified for you, you often forget that that is not how everyone experiences those 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 issues in life and those those people in those professions and things like that. Um, uh, so it definitely has that big impact. Um, but also, yeah, just that, that, that time to explore, uh, mm -hmm. and, and to find out new things and, and, uh, you know, a little bit of time to grow up, but more importantly, um, and I know I'm going on a bit here, but you know, you, you brought up, you know, just sort of going, going straight into work and how work can be sort of very rigid. And it's, it's funny because I grew up in a very rural place 
myself, mm-hmm. where people often made a distinction between the real world and university, uh, which always pissed me off because I'd be like, okay, so here's, here's how, let me describe the real world as you see it. A bell goes off, and at that time I need to be sitting at my desk. A little while later, at around noon, say, I get an hour off to eat. Then I have to be back at my desk for a while, and then at, at about five, a bell goes off, and I get to go home, and I don't have to think about it anymore. What does that sound like? You know, I'm being kind of mean about it, but that sounds like being a child in school. Uh, hmm. and, and when you go to university, it's all of a sudden, it's never off, because no matter what's happening, you could be doing more to understand your subject. Um, hmm. You know, I always like to say that people who, who say a class is easy is like, it's, it's, it, it's, only, it's only as easy as you make it, my friend. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, if, if you're finding it easy, then you're not trying hard enough. Um, and uh, it, it, it gives you this opportunity to challenge yourself and see how far you can go. And it's, it's ne- I mean, imagine, imagine if your job involved a, mm-hmm. a four to 10 year commitment uh, to be self-directed and assessed yeah. in, a, in an irreversible way, like on a bi-monthly period for that whole time. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, wow, that sounds like a really hard job. Uh, mm-hmm. that, and uh, anyway, that university can can give you that that foundation. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, exactly. That self direction that the people, you know, up until then, people normally, how do you say, take you by the hand and guide you. Mm-hmm. And then when you go to university, you know, they just throw you there, and then it's like, <laughs> you know, you're free to do what you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that, and I, I've got to say that was a uh, for me personally, that was exactly what I loved about it. I loved being. Mm-hmm. Uh, on like in in that sense kind of on my own with no one looking over my shoulder and no one no one no one punishes you uh for not showing up to class yeah that was one a big shock that i had when i after my long years in university (laughs) and i when i started working it was like a shock it was like a a complete shock like from being able to decide how i work when i work how i arrange my life to all of a sudden uh, I think that in Spain, because now in Sweden, there's a little more flexibility, but in Spain, it was like very uh, rigid in the sense that you have to come this hour, leave this hour. Uh, you normally work extra hours that nobody pays you. Uh, <laughs> so it's a like very like that, uh, rigid. And it was like from, yeah, from, from having so much autonomy to, to being uh, in a way enslaved. <laughs> I had like a small crisis. I was thinking, oh, this cannot be life. I cannot be this for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, uh, moving to Sweden. So yeah. was that easy? Did you have to do anything or could you just go because you're in the EU? Yes, it was the EU thing that makes, his, that, that, that makes it very easy. So the first thing was this uh, Erasmus program where you go as a change student and they give you, you say a stipendium, they give you some money, which doesn't go very far, but... Um, the family can help as well. And then, uh, but that was just studying. And then after that, in, in the EU, you have this, this thing that you have a free movement of workers. Uh, so you can go to any country. And then normally you have three months to find a job. And if you get a job, then you get uh, automatic uh, residence or something like that. Probably, I don't know if, I'm, if it's exactly that how it works. I think that, that is it. So what, what I did was I came here. Um, and uh, I started looking for jobs, uh, and I was thinking, you know, my idea was like, ah, this is gonna be easy, because you know, uh, I know English, Swedish people, all of them, 
speak perfect English <laughs> and I, you know, have one year of experience as a software engineer, this is going to be easy. And then I, I, I busted my face against the wall because <laughs> I couldn't get a job. Uh, so it was, you know, we moved back to the city where we had studied my, my wife and I, and, uh, yeah, for the next, uh, seven months, we were living on her, on my meager savings because, you know, in Spain, my first job, I got like 900 euro per month as an engineer. That was like, I, I worked as a, <laughs> I worked as a bartender and I earned like a thousand two hundred. Uh, so as an engineer with a master of science, <laughs> I was earning like, I mean, very, very low salary. So I, I, I paid rent, I paid food and perhaps I saved a hundred euros per month. So when I came to Sweden, I mean, two months they lasted and that was it. So I was living, yeah, we were living basically my, 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 my wife, my girlfriend at the time, she was paying for everything and I was looking for the job. I sent, uh, I don't know, uh, I always say like 200 CVs. Uh, that's how it felt, how it felt. And I think I got like two interviews. Uh, it was horrible. Uh, I, I think that the biggest problem probably was that I didn't speak Swedish at the time. And that was, uh, in that area that was like, uh, not as cosmopolita as, as Stockholm. People really wanted people that speak, that, that could speak Swedish. I don't know. Perhaps they didn't. Uh, my CV didn't inspire uh, trust. I don't know. <laughs> Perhaps I got like a bad picture. Who knows? Uh, but then, so it was tough. Because seven months, uh, like looking for a job. And, you know, um, yeah, like having your 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 wife, your significant other pay for everything. And uh, that was that was a tough period. I, 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 used, I used to be a, a, a smoker. So I was very addicted to smoking back then. And I couldn't pay me cigarettes. <laughs> and my wife, of course, she doesn't want me to smoke, so she wouldn't buy me cigarettes. So, I mean, this isn't something like, this sounds stupid today, but, you know, it was a huge uh, source of discussions for us because you're addicted. So you don't, and you don't know, understand that you're addicted. Uh, but, yeah, after seven months, something like that, uh, um, there was this person that gave me an opportunity and, and, and trusted me and, uh, and I, and I, and I went through some interviews and I got a job as a consultant, uh, working on, actually <laughs> I was about to come to a company as a, uh, expert in Python. And, you know, I had no clue about Python, <laughs> but, uh, you know, yes, I think, yeah, when I got the job, I said, okay, then I'm going to just, I'm going to learn Python. I'm going to learn everything about Python. I want to get a certification on Python. Uh, and then, you know, when I started the job, I think I was the, I was at a higher level than the people that were there. So that was good. <laughs> uh, and I came with a lot of enthusiasm and ideas about how they could re-architect their solution and improve. And I think it went very well. And then from now on, it was easy. It was easy. Yeah. It was, uh, the moment that you have like somebody is like seal of approval, ping, somebody has hired you in Sweden then it is much easier to just get more jobs or like at least interviews. And uh, I'd like to ask you how you, how you got eventually made your way to Google. But before I ask you about that, um, one of the pleasures of this podcast is that I get to interview writers from all around the world. Uh, and one thing I like to ask them is things specific to where they, they are. Uh, and I don't think I've interviewed anyone from 
living in Stockholm before. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, what's what's the startup scene like there? Okay, so so you know that's I think that the startup scene is amazing, but I've never been a part of it. <laughs> so this like you know my background is in .NET development, so that's 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 enterprise, and and you 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 have these two universes coexisting, but they never <laughs> touch each other. So a startup scene is super huge. There's we have a lot of incubators. Uh, I meet these people in in meetups. So if you go to Stockholm yes, if you go to different meetups, you will meet these people. But uh, but normally, uh, since my background was .NET, I normally hang hang out with these other people. That is enterprise, big consulting firms, helping big companies, um, big established companies. But other than that, uh, you have uh, yeah awesome startups and, and unicorns and yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, uh, so speaking of big established companies, my next question, uh, how did you, so you've, you've had this, this really interesting journey, but, and you ended up mm-hmm. at, you know, one of the biggest, most established companies <laughs> in the world. Uh, how, how did you end up at Google? Did they, did they grab you from somewhere or did you approach them? They, they grabbed me. So this was, you know, I was, I, it was it's very funny because <laughs> I remember going to work in Linköping. That was a city where where I lived before with my wife, and this in the, in the I guess in middle south of Sweden. That was a university city, uh, somewhat small. It's big for Swedish standards, but it's small. Um, and I was listening to this book. It was uh, in the Plex. It's a book by I think I don't know if it's Stephen Levy or. Yeah, it's a tech writer, and it's the book is about. I don't know if you've read it, but it's about the origins of Google and how Google came to be, and yeah, Google ideals and all of those things. I remember thinking, oh, it would be so awesome to work at Google, but you know, that's never gonna happen. <laughs> I remember that uh, a lot. And then what happened was that you know I've been, I guess, I'm, I guess, I don't think I've never thought about like career advance. That's not something that I think about. I guess love developing software and I always focus on just, just code and creating things and having fun and learning and improving my craft That's, those are the things that concern me and then mm, I've been uh, working at different companies uh, uh, meeting people in meetups and sometimes talking to conferences meetups so those things developing things creating things in my free time doing side projects and I've been yeah, moving from company to company when it made sense. Like uh, perhaps you work in a company uh, and uh, you don't enjoy working there because their practices may not be very good and they are not keen on changing them. Uh, people in your team, they're not excited about software development as much as you are. And then you you, you meet other people in other companies that you click better with and they talk about uh, they talk with you about their company and all this stuff and you know this is a natural way of moving uh, companies which is funny because I, yeah, I've moved more company because I knew people there than because anything else um, so people are important <laughs> and then um, yeah and you know yes yes you know doing my things I was I think it was January 2016. 
I came from. Uh, we spent Christmas in the north. My 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 wife is from Lulia, which is like there in the North Pole. <laughs> it was uh, minus thirty five degrees or something. Uh, it was winter, and came back from there from celebrating Christmas. Came home. I opened my email because I had been isolated completely, and then. I open the email and I see two emails and, and the first one is from Google and the other one is from Microsoft. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, so I was, so I was, I was like, what, how did this happen? So how did, how did this happen? Um, one of the, the, the email from Google was, um, somebody had seen my profile on LinkedIn and they thought that was interesting for a position. It was technical solution consultant in Stockholm. And then uh, they wanted me to, uh, if I was interested, start the interview process. And then the other one was from Moyen, uh, you know, the game development company that does Minecraft. So then I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I was just doing my, my thing. You know, I was just planning, I was going to speak at a conference in, in end of June or beginning of February. I think I was writing JavaScript and C probably at the time as well. Never ending book. And... Uh, and all of a sudden I get this, I said, oi, <laughs> really unexpected. But uh, I said, uh, yeah, I mean, let's do it. <laughs> That's how it went. And then I went through the interview process. I never thought that it would amount to anything. But, you know, it, it was just, I guess, let's do it. I, I, I don't have anything to lose. I'm just going to do my best. And we will see what, what happens. And then I started going through the interviews and, uh, and like passing interviews. And then I got the, and I got the offer and I was like, what, <laughs> how did this happen? Uh, and then, yeah. And then I started working at Google. Uh, just one, one sort of specific question. This has actually come up a couple of times uh, with people I've interviewed, but how many interviews did you have? If you, if oh, that was uh, I know a lot. Yeah, it was, I don't remember exactly, but uh, it could be eight. Uh, if we count the phone interview, it was like a, it was um, <laughs> gruel, gruel, I don't know if, if grueling, but it was long and arduous. The thing is that you know you're doing this while you have a job, so I mean it's like you have your job, you have your life, and then on top of that, you need to prepare for the interviews, particularly because you know I mean if you work as a software engineer, chances are that you're normally you don't rely on computer science computer science science stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you don't use the standard libraries. You don't implement algorithms at a low level. You don't do graphs. You don't, you know, you just use, you build applications. So those things, it's a, yeah, you really need to refresh them. Uh, in my case, you know, I didn't do computer science. So I, even though I, I, I really enjoy computer science and all these things, but it's just hard to find time to do it. So yeah, so it was, yes, you need to prepare a lot and then you need to be on for the interviews. Um, yeah. So, yeah, thank, thanks, 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 <laughs> thanks, thanks for sharing yeah. that. Um, uh, so uh, you mentioned side projects in your book, Javascript Nancy, the, the never-ending book. And, and so I'd like to move yeah. on to uh, that in the next part <laughs> of the interview. But before that, I've got, I've got um, one specific question. I grew up in a place where it goes to minus 35 or minus 45 Celsius in the winter. You grew up in beautiful northern Spain. Yeah. Uh, what was your first winter in Sweden like? Oh, my God. You know, I, I used to smoke then. So imagine going out for a smoke at minus 35. Uh, that was tough. <laughs> uh, but 
Yeah, I mean, you get accustomed to it. You know, I think that the problem, the, the cold is not as big of a problem as the darkness. So, you know, it's like, uh, it's, we're very north. So, so I mean, but you know that probably. <laughs> so in the winter, it's like never ending winter and never ending darkness. And that's, that can be tough also. Like you miss the sun. And then in the summer, it's like never ending sun. But uh, yeah, no, <laughs> I think that's easier to, to deal with though. Yeah, it's interesting. I used to, I used to smoke myself and occasionally crack and have one from time to time now. And I do remember, you know, the times when I felt most like an idiot were when I had to do something very physical <laughs> and when I had to go outside in minus 35 <laughs> to have my cigarette. Um, yeah. You know, in Sweden, they're very good. Sweden has moved forward and people don't smoke. And if you smoke, you because you're the only person that does it, you feel... You feel a little bit like a pariah. So it's like you, every time that I would go out for a smoke, it was like the walk of shame. It was the walk of shame out and the walk of shame in. <laughs> and because I was the only one doing it. Uh, so, so it's good. It's good that, that, that they do that, that they don't smoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a very enjoyable activity in many ways, but it, it has bad effects in the long run. And we all, we all know that yeah. now, thankfully. Um, so moving on to the next part of the interview. So you, you, I, I said you mentioned side projects. Um, I wanted to ask you where you got the idea for uh, Barbarian Meets Coding. Oh, yeah. So, so that was, I think that, so I think that when, when I started like getting very much into development, I think like I had like two big inspirations. One was uh, Scott Hanselman, and the other one was Rob Connery, and both of them had blogs. And uh, and I and I I think you know those seven months of looking for work, I was an I was an idol. I was learning a lot uh, about coding, and uh, and as I was learning, I was thinking I should start a blog, and then um, and then uh, yeah, when I was smoking outside and I started reflecting, reflecting how, okay, I'm going to do this vlog. How am I going to call this vlog? I don't know. I started like brainstorming different names. And I think that there was this, this other blogger that I really, really liked. He was like, a, I mean, I don't remember his name, but he was like, a, I think he was like a UX designer coder. And his blog was called something like nerd plus art. It, it could be that today even, I don't know. And then I was thinking, oh, I like that that combination. Uh, and then I came up with Barbarian Meets Coding. I don't know how to work, but the idea is that I wanted to do some, I always, I love fantasy and sci-fi. So I've been reading, yeah, one of my passions is reading books that was, I've been doing that for for, a, yeah, for, for never, forever. I, yeah, I used to be super nerdy. I used to play... Um, like role-playing games, so, you know the ones that D and D and you know vam vampire and werewolf. That you act, people are talking <laughs> uh, through an adventure, and uh, yeah. So that's what, yeah. I've always been into fantasy, and then I was thinking, okay, let's mix two of my passions, which are fantasy and coding. And I always like to put like themes in my talks and in my articles because I think that it's more fun if you have like a theme that you can piggyback on and like to tell a story so that's how 
Berberian Metzcorium came to be, I was, yeah, I remember one of the happiest memories of my childhood is watching uh, Conan the Barbarian with my uncle. My uncle was like a big role model for me. And I used to spend a lot of time with him and then we would watch yeah, Conan the Barbarian and Conan the Destroyer. We watched those movies. I mean, I don't know how many times, like, <laughs> yeah. So Arnold Schwarzenegger as Conan the Barbarian. That was awesome. So yeah, so mixing that. That's how I came up with Barbarian Mids Coding. And how did you come up with the name, uh, the handle Vintheras, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, that you oh, yeah. on GitHub and Twitter and things like that? Yeah, in my head it was, so it's, um, um, in, my, in my head I usually call, say Vintheras. Ah. Because I'm a Spanish and then you pronounce everything, you know, like that. Uh, with, uh, we don't pronounce the H. And then... Uh, this was like, um, I don't, you know, when you read fantasy in Spanish, then everything sounds Spanish. <laughs> uh, so this was like, uh, uh, it was funny. Um, so in university, after three years of not having a computer, uh, I, I, I got myself a computer and I was there <laughs> uh, in the middle of the living room. We stole a table from a cafe. <laughs> we brought it home and I put the computer there. And then it was like a very old computer. You couldn't play any game, any modern game. So I don't know how I found out about this, but I started playing a multi-era, a multi-user dungeon. I'm, I'm mad. Uh, and basically, that's like a text adventure um, on, on, on like, a, yeah, like an MMORPG, but it's like in text. So it's like a chat meets game meets text adventure. And it was really funny because it's just basically just letters that are describing a scene, and and then you can do actions. Uh, it's yeah, it's like a terminal based, and then you can create yeah, you basically create a character, and you you can customize the terminal to do things faster. You can create macros. Uh, you can do a lot of things. I, I, it was really funny because every time I I used to live with uh, my um, a roommate back then we, we were like we became as brothers because we lived together like six years uh and every time that he would come home he was he, he would uh make fun of me he was he was saying oh you're, you're playing at the letters you're playing at the letters again <laughs> like it wasn't a real game he was like what, what are you doing what are you doing spending so much time with this nonsense you know i mean you should try it this is so much fun <laughs> this is so good uh so my character in in that uh, universe was a half-elven ranger protector of a small village uh, near a swamp uh, filled with evil lizard men. And, and his name was Vintaras. He was the, Alcon, the falcon of the crepuscle. That was a very poetical name. And, I, and then I... <laughs> I mean, you know, when I joined all these Twitter and all these things, and all, uh, nobody told me about SEO... I think <laughs> so. Yes, <laughs> it would have been much better to have like Jaime, <laughs> so people can find me. But, but yeah, I use Vintaras, Vintaras, and now no, no one knows. No one knows who I am. No, no one can find me. And the funny thing is, I I use it even on Google. I use that as well. And people always ask me, "What, what is this? I, I cannot find you <laughs> uh, within our system." It's funny. But yeah, that was... once you once you know that's you though, then you, it's very easy to find you. Uh, and because yes. you know, I searched for it, and like I was like, oh, is this a character from fiction or something like that? And it's like if you put that name in Google, yes. it's 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 all you. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's really made up. 
Yeah, you you mentioned uh, themes, and so um, uh, for your J- JavaScript Mansi book, um, for those who might not might might not get it right away, uh, Mansi comes from you know necromancy or pyromancy, and it's a reference yeah, to exactly. kind of magic, basically, uh, which is yeah. a really cool idea. And so I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about what's what was the motivation behind. And this JavaScript Mansi book, by the way, is hundreds and hundreds of pages. It's it's an excellent book. Um, Thank you. Uh, and Thank you. Uh, well, you're welcome. And, and it, it really is. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about, uh, I, I believe that was your first book. What was the what was the motivation behind starting a project like that and, and completing it? Yeah. So, yeah, I think that, so I, so, so back then I, I, I used to work as a Dalton developer and I did, um, I think that about back in the, the day I did a lot of, um, um, how do you call them? Uh, not yeah, like applic- um, desktop applications. You call them uh, not web. <laughs> the opposite of web. And uh, so I did .NET and C Sharp. And then uh, and you know there's this thing in the .NET community that uh, and I think I don't know if ah, back then it was very pervasive. Today probably it's less pervasive. Although I've seen it. But it was the idea to look down onto, look down onto, look down. Yeah, I think that's how I say it. Look down on web development. Like web development, you know, this is not real development. Like this HTML is not web. It's not really software development. JavaScript is not software development. It's just copy pasting. So there was like this. I don't know. Yeah, it was like this way of looking at web development that was uh, a little bit like ah, this is not worthy of our consideration. And then as, as a member of that community, you just suck that feeling or that idea. And then uh, I, I, I don't know, people started talking about Node and I could see excitement around web development and like rich applications. And then I, I decided to, you know, I'm only just going to put a screen here. I'm just going to just give it a chance. I'm going to just start doing some JavaScript and I'm going to give it a chance, a fair chance. And I'm going to try to understand it. And then the more I started using JavaScript, the more I I started enjoying it, and 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 you know uh, I learned how to do different object-oriented patterns in JavaScript, and then I learned how uh, free you know like just the idea of having a REPL and being able to so quickly prototype things. Uh, it was much less ceremonious than C sharp. You didn't need so many artifacts to. It was so. Um, you could compose different objects with each other and everything. You, you could do very awesome things. And through this experience, I realized that JavaScript was a, a very awesome language. Like uh, it was fun to write, but it was also very powerful. It was a really good language. And then with this knowledge, I, I, I remember being at a meetup and people were talking about TypeScript and everybody, every time that there would be an opportunity to bash JavaScript, people would take it. <laughs> and then I was sitting there in the back of the room and I was thinking like, yeah, like muttering or like thinking, no, but no, you, JavaScript is good. No, <laughs> but uh, the other opinion was so prevalent that I just shut my mouth. And then, so the idea for the, from the book came, came from this. I just wanted to show people that JavaScript was awesome, uh, which is stupid if you think about it as a business, it's like to, to tell people that they are wrong, this could be the worst business <laughs> that you can imagine. But that was, I mean, I just wanted to share like my enthusiasm and like my journey of discovery with other not developers because JavaScript was so, 
it was so much fun to write. It was, uh, yeah, it, it was so good that I wanted just to share it. And then that's where the, where the idea for the book came from. Uh, I started writing some articles and then I think I, I thought, wait, you know, I can make this a book. And then I was thinking, uh, yeah, because I always like to have themes. I was thinking my, my, my thought process was, okay, JavaScript is thought of a, like a very obscure language that has like weird behaviors. So then let's compare it to magic. And then, you know, we have, as you say, like different schools of magic, necromancy, pyromancy. So then I will do the play with words that uh, some people get, a lot of people don't get. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, scriptancy. And then, uh, and then throughout, yeah, I was thinking, oh, so cool. So it's going to be a book about uh, learning the arcane art of, art of writing JavaScript. And then I, as I was thinking more about this fantasy theme, I, I, I thought, okay, so I can make a programming book and then I can mix it somehow with a fantasy book. So I'm going to have uh, like a story inside the book and all the examples are going to be tied together and they're going to be like a fantasy story and the exercises also are going to be part of the story. And then uh, I'm going to have illustrations and, and like in fantasy books which, uh, I, you know, I, I started like thinking about like awesome ideas and then some, some things came to be other things have, I haven't done yet. For instance, all the illustrations, I, I have like all these ideas and about, and I, and you visualize these things in your brain and they look awesome. And then sometimes reality, uh, when your dream meets reality, you realize that perhaps you cannot, you don't have the ability to do some things. And, uh, um, yeah, there's some things that you don't do in the end or that you postpone. That's something I, I would really like to illustrate, like the book with like cool fantasy uh, illustrations, but we will see when I get there. And then, so yeah, I started like writing the book and uh, writing and writing. And, and, I, and all of a sudden it was like 600 pages and I realized, yeah, <laughs> And, and and just thinking about how much more I wanted to write. So 600 pages and I had covered uh, like the basics of JavaScript and part of the object-oriented uh, stuff that I wanted to, to teach people about because JavaScript has like awesome object-oriented capabilities. I wanted to teach people, this is how you do C-sharp, like classical inheritance in JavaScript, but then you have all these awesome things that you can do because JavaScript is dynamic. Uh, but I was there like 600 pages in and you have this because, you know, writing a book is like, it's like a marathon is very tough as well. And I realized that one, who, who is going to read uh, a thousand five hundred pages book? It's going to be super tough. And then also, uh, I think it was, it would be very tough for me to just continue writing forever without having something finished and then i thought what if i break down the book <laughs> into smaller volumes because that's very common in fantasy you know you have this long series uh, of books and, that, and, that, and that's when i started to like breaking the books down so then i got like the javascript yeah, getting started and then you have like a 300 page book with introduction to to javascript and then uh, you move into oop and then you move into functional programming and then you move into async and then you go, yeah, my idea is like to make like, like a super uh, long series on JavaScript. Uh, and that's how it, yeah, that's, that's it. And uh, you had, a, you worked out um, a very 
kind of robust process when you were writing that book, I gathered mm-hmm. from, from looking at it. Um, did you did you publish it in progress? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think in, I don't remember when I started publishing, but yeah, I did, I did publish it very early because, you know, a lot of the things I wrote in my blog, like a very first, what I did, it was I write an article in my blog and then I, I published it in the book, or I think I did it simultaneously. But the things that in the book, yeah, in, in my blog, it was just the article itself, the content of the article. And then in the book, uh, I added the, the chapter, I extended it, I added the exercises and the story. And then, you know, writing, writing the article is like 10%. And then like, and I, there's another 90% of editing and editing and editing. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that takes so much more. And you had and, some, uh, you had some technical reviewers as well that were yeah exactly yeah the that process that I could follow yeah I would I would use yeah I was thinking you know I can use the TC39 process you know that you have these different levels of proposals so from Stroman to 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 final or something so then what I would do was I would be writing articles and they would be I would be writing chapters and they would be in different levels of maturity based on whether it was just something that I could have just written. Because normally I just write the content super fast without thinking about anything, shape or form, I just content, content. And then as I go reviewing it and adding uh, exercises, uh, as it gets reviewed by a technical reviewers, then it goes maturing. And this was like a signal for the readers to to know whether it was safe safe to read uh, and a chapter or not. So if you if you you have like that, my idea was that okay, if you really want to learn about the writing process of a book, or you want to get the chapters super early, then you can look at this Stroman uh, chapter that is like very early. But if you don't care about like this initial thing and you just want to see like a mature final version of the article, then you can just wait till till you see that this is like uh, reviewed and like uh, finished. We've already kind of naturally segued into the, the sort of last sort of part of the, the interview where we talk about uh, being an author and writing and, and how you manage that. Uh, mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you, how did you, how did you find LeanPub and why did you decide to use us as your mm-hmm. platform? Good question, because this was a lot of years ago. I think, how did I find LeanPub? Hmm. I don't remember how I found LeanPub. Probably the, some other author was, was publishing on LeanPub, LeanPub back then. Uh, and then what uh, what attracted me was that like Limpub is like the for a software engineer it's like the perfect way to write a book. I was like, okay, I get to use Markdown, and then I get to push to a Git repo, and then when I push to the Git repo, it automatically generates uh, a preview of the book, and and I can publish it as well. It was like that idea of it, it felt like developing software in a way. So, so that was like the perfect, that was like perfect match. Somewhere you near, right, writer, this is how it should be. You know, I don't want to be, I mean, getting a word, like, come on. <laughs> so, you know, I just use uh, Beam uh, and I'm working using like the same development tools that I use for working. And then again, I push to, to GitHub, it gets connected and I get to the output in Dropbox that I can read for review. Uh, and it was like the perfect workflow. And then 
And then the idea that you can uh, publish as you go and get feedback from your readers and see if it works or not. If that's also that was very attractive. Yeah, that was going to well. be my that was going to be my next question was um, was getting feedback from readers early mm -hmm. important to you and how did you did you have a process for incorporating it or was it like you know you put your email address in the book and people contact you that way? Yeah, I think that exactly in the beginning I was just very I just have a, an email there and yes contact me on my email or yes on Twitter or whatever you, whatever however you want and I I don't think that I got like a lot a lot of feedback uh, I guess that you know as a as a I mean. When I started writing JavaScript and C, the first book, I was a completely unknown person. So uh, I, not a lot of people bought the book <laughs> or got the book. Uh, so you know the feedback part. The feedback. Uh, the feedback part. Although, like a good idea in theory, in my case, it didn't happen so much. But uh, right now, for instance, for my latest books on on Vim. I have, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I think that when I publish JavaScript, JavaScript and C, sometimes I'm, I think I lack the confidence to say, here is what I'm doing, uh, like, and owning it. It's like, sometimes I feel like I, I'm hiding, I'm doing it, and then I'm hiding, and I'm publishing it in my blog, but I don't do a lot of promotion, self-promotion, or I, I'm just like, yeah, because I, uh, you know, you have all, some, yeah, everybody struggles with self-doubt and all those things. And I think back then I, I probably was m much more, you know, I, since I, I didn't do computer science degree and I, I, I started developing like when I was 26 and I feel like I have, I always feel like I have this, these gaps that I should feel. So I think that perhaps now I feel more confident as a developer than before, but back then I was much, much more shyer about self-promotion. So I would just develop this book, uh, on my own in my, you know, in a hidden way. But now with the latest books, I've been more like vocal, reaching out to the community, asking for feedback, asking for reviewers. And I'm, yeah, I've got for the Wizard, uh, Wizards Use Veeam book. I've, I, I got some, yeah, people contact me, contacting me through Twitter DMs and yes, yeah, providing feedback in the very early stages. So that's, that's nice. And uh, the last question I always like to ask people in these interviews is um, if there was one thing we could build for you or one thing we could fix for you on Lean mm -hmm. and and we would do it, what would you ask us to do? Good question. Um, uh, probably, I mean, I don't know how would you would do it, <laughs> but I've always envisioned like these books I would love to, that's something that, you know, I always like, the sky is the limit. When I'm visualizing things in my head, they all look like super awesome. And then when it meets reality, I have to settle because of time constraints or because I won't, yeah, it, sometimes it's just better good and done. People can enjoy it than perfect. Uh, but, you know, I have always envisioned like these books, like I would love to be able to design like beautiful you know, I'm always like, one of my goals with everything that I do is to delight. Like people, like, they would open that book and it would be like, what? <laughs> and then you're reading and you're enjoying like every paragraph and every sentence. And it's like, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever read. So, so right now I can do that with text. I don't know if I get there. That's my aspiration. 
but I would love to be able to like have like very strong visuals uh, in the design of the book. So we're talking about like layout, uh, like um, beautiful layout, colors, uh, illustrations. So being able to customize the output, the PDF output, for instance, that would be very cool. The thing is that I I have never done like that typesetting or anything like that. So I don't know. I know that you can use InDesign for that <laughs> or something, but uh, I've never. It's something that I've always wanted to do with these books, but I've never gotten there yet. So so it's that's something I would like to do, but I don't even know how you could implement it in Markdown. I know that you're working on something called Markua, but I don't know if it supports something like that, like being able to customize output yeah thanks very much for that for that uh it's it's something that um uh we've thought about a lot uh as you mentioned we do have an, an indesign output um ex- mm. export yeah. feature so that when a book is done done uh mm. someone can then export what they've written in sort of limpa flavored markdown or in markua and then or using one of our mm. writing modes and then and then they can take it and they can either themselves or give it to a professional to do all the Mm-hmm. Super fancy things about kerning and and things like that. Yeah. Um, uh, for us, it's always been there. Are, there are just things that we try to keep in balance. Like for example, one of our mantras is that you know slightly tongue in cheek, but it's that when you're writing, formatting is a pro- form of procrastination. Uh, and we all yeah. we all know what it's like. I actually I was just watching a Family Guy episode last night where the you know the the, the dog the the running joke is that the dog is a, is a writer, but he never writes anything. And mm. uh, the joke in the episode I watched last night was that he spent all day just moving the margins around in, basically yeah. in Word, but in an empty document. Um, mm. and, and, uh, and that's just kind of an extreme example of how formatting yeah. can, become, can be problematic. And, and, and also, um, you know, when you, are, when you are writing the way Leanpa books are typically written in plain text, you know, yeah. it, it can become, you know, how many, how many different knobs do you want to give people to tweak that all of a sudden your yeah. manual is a thousand pages Mm-hmm. Things like that is tricky, as well. I think that right now, the, the way that is right now, I that yes, the, the workflow for writing is is very good. So so thank you and awesome, yo. Oh, well, thank, thank you. Yeah, thank, thank yeah you I really that. love it. Yeah, I'd say like, perfect. Oh, thank you for that. And 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 the other issue is that in the ebook world, you know, there are there are these like super interactive books and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but generally speaking. You know, if you're writing a book and it's going to end up in ebook format, in particularly we, in Leapub, we like it to be in multiple formats. So you can hmm. do it in PDF, EPUB, Mobi, uh, and reading online. Yeah. And for example, in in things like Kindle or you know, I, or books in Apple, people can do things like change fonts. They can change the the the, hmm. letter, the letters, the sizes of the characters, and things like that. And all of a sudden, you know, f- formatting. Kind of like it's really important in PDF output. It's really, I mean, it's really important in everything, right? But, but at the same time, if the if, if, if there's this interesting thing where when the reader can change settings, yeah, then, mm. then it it actually it makes super precise formatting kind of a little bit. It's not it's not necessarily exactly what you're going for in all cases when you want to when you yeah. want to reach a really wide audience uh, through, yes. this, through yes. this particular format. So mm. uh, while, while we take formatting really really seriously. And we understand how serious it is, particularly for certain types of projects. It is always this a bit of a balancing act, but we appreciate mm-hmm. we appreciate getting getting nudged. Yeah, I think that it's more like it would be more like in the case of print, like you know, because I I, I use EPUB, I use EPUB, and I use the 
because I published in, in the Kindle store. Uh, so that's Moby, actually. So, and and I've enjoyed a lot, like reading my book. <laughs> that was like a great way to review the book. So reading my book on Kindle, it made it like very, that was the first time that I was reading the book and I was, this, it was like a, such an awesome feeling because it really felt like a book. It felt like I'm reading a real book here, but uh, I wrote it, but it's a real book. And then when I got it in print, you know, through Amazon, Amazon, that was also very awesome. Yeah, that's that's yeah. one of the things that that I mean every every author self published or or, or sort mm. of publisher published when you when you get that copy in your hands and you see your name, uh, yeah. it's, it's just it, it's, it's magical. Yeah, um, it's awesome. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to do this interview. I really appreciate it. Time, time yeah, out of, out of your evening, um, and thank you very much for being a lean pub author. I was. Thank you very much. I really love your service. Keep kicking ass. Thanks. Um, so I just realized I forgot to ask you about paternity leave. Oh yeah, no worries. Do, 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 do you want? Do you have a few minutes to talk about that? Oh yeah, of course. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, people listening closely may have heard there was a, a baby in the background um, uh, earlier on, and yeah. uh, So congratulations um, to you and Thank your you. wife. Um, Thank co- you. Coincidentally, uh, I've I've interviewed a couple of people since then, but the last podcast that we published was with a woman named Sarah K. Peck, whose startup is called Startup Pregnant. And we, we spent a lot of time in that interview talking about taking leave uh, mm. around the time of the birth of a child. And I wanted to ask you, so I, so I gathered uh, from Twitter that you've, you've been on leave for eight months. Yeah. Is that, is that a typical <laughs> amount of time for people in Sweden? Yeah, I think that uh, I think that's a, like a very common thing in Sweden. So, in yeah, I mean, this is crazy. You know, I come from Spain. The the parent, the the, the dad, used to get like two weeks. I think now they have extended it to four or something like that. So, I mean, this also for me is like it's crazy. <laughs> but in Sweden, uh, there is uh, four hundred and eighty days of parent of maternity parent. Uh, I guess pattern. Uh, of leave, <laughs> parental leave. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, for yeah, parental leave for for that you share between the mom and, and the dad, and then uh, the way that it works is that you know there's this uh, tweeting is very much very strong equality, gender equality, so they make you at least uh, each one of the members of the couple has to get uh, three months, as like the minimum, and then you divide it as you want. Uh, but normally people usually devise it equally. So, so then that's my, my wife was for, was, uh, on, on maternity leave for a little bit longer, perhaps, I don't know if it was like 11 months or something like that. Uh, and then I was on parental leave for like eight months and there's still days left. So that we have, I think we still can get like a month more of parental, of parental leave. I mean, it's crazy. And uh, what was your what was your biggest surprise? Uh, I mean, I don't know if I, I believe this is your second child, so maybe you've you've gone through this before. But oh no, it's, this is my first. Oh, okay. oh, it is. Okay, okay. Um, and so, what was your biggest uh, surprise becoming a becoming a dad and and having this time on your hands? I mean, it, well, maybe you didn't, but <laughs> and well, the biggest surprise. It, it, I think that I have a lot of opinions here. <laughs> So the biggest surprise, I, I think that the modern societies, you know, we have, I, I, I think, so when I, how do I put this? So in modern societies, I think it's very common to live very independently from your family. And in my case, 
So my wife and I are like a unit of two people. My family is in Spain and her family is in the north of Sweden. And uh, as uh, so human beings, we're not designed to take care of a child, only two people. I think that we're designed to grow and yeah, to take care of children like as a tribe. So the surprise was that anything, any comment, any idea that I had about how tough it was to have a child before having a child paled in comparison with reality. <laughs> it's, it's, it's incredibly tough. It was funny because, I mean, as amazing as an experience it is, as happy as you are, it was funny because I, would, I was the first two months I was with my wife um, um, tell, yeah, helping her um, throughout the pregnancy and the first months, and then I came back to work, and even though <laughs> I would I would vent with my colleagues a lot, so it was funny because yeah, I mean, having a child is also my I love him to death and he's the sweetest thing, but then I would always talk about how tough it was <laughs> in very excruciating detail. <laughs> so that was one of the biggest surprises is how tough it is to take care of a child. Uh, I think that it, it's a big shock because uh, my family, you know, I didn't, we didn't have any baby around that I could practice with <laughs> as I grew up. So then you don't know how to take care of a child or like be around a child or anything. And then, you know, you have a baby, you go through the pregnancy and they just give you the child. And then they say, you know, here you have a baby. It's yours. And then they leave. <laughs> and there you are like with this baby in your, in your arms. And it's like, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> and then the baby starts crying. And, and then, yeah. And then it goes down from there. <laughs> so they're very, very, it's, yeah. Like very, I think I wrote it. I think the best way to put it, I, I, wrote, it, I wrote it in an article in my blog was that the baby breaks you down physically and mentally. It destroys you. And then through, yeah, he just reveals you into someone that can take care of him. So he's just, he destroys you. He's, he, you you're going to be destroyed, tired, exhausted. You, you're going to get to the limit and then you're going to find a new limit and then you're going to find a new limit. <laughs> and then, uh, and then you, it goes from like survival mode and then slowly you start rebuilding yourself and, and gaining confidence as a parent and having more patience and being able to sleep. I, I mean, he also develops and becomes like more stable. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's an amazing experience. You grow a lot. You, you, you grow in the relationship as well because uh, you've never been in such an extreme situation with your wife. Or, or partner so you develop a, a lot like that as well and then uh, yeah through that they discovered to be extremely appreci appreciative and uh, of my own time like you get like yeah like like I've never been as productive <laughs> as before like now if you know before I, if I would have some time I would like do like the Facebook Twitter LinkedIn autopilot route blogs RSS, you know, like, okay, I'm going to do some writing. And then like 45 minutes later, I'm trapped in Twitter. 
still like for the fourth time <laughs> and now it's like if i have some time you know i just do whatever uh so, so much more productive because you, you you don't have there's no time you don't have any time <laughs> it's like crazy uh so, and then for the past eight, eight months it's been amazing to be able to have like all the time to be with my son and get to know each other i'm uh like really well and but then it's also it's like very tough because you yeah you even you don't have any time for yourself uh you're just taking care about person that that can't do anything that can't survive without you and that's basically yeah, you you lose yourself a little bit so writing the continue writing the books and doing like my own side projects is like a lifeline to not lose yourself and uh, sometimes you have to choose do i sleep because i'm so tired and exhausted or do i do something for myself and then i will be tired but at least I feel like I I have you know you have you have to pay yourself also. Uh, so yeah, that made me amazing, uh, but tough. <laughs> yeah, thanks thanks very much for sharing that. And as always, thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of the Front Matter podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you found this podcast. And if you'd like to become a Lean Pub author, please visit our website at leanpub.com. <laughs>